0: Section 3 of Lost Diaries This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Davis Lost Diaries by Maurice Baring From the Diary of King Cofetua Cofetua Castle, May 3rd We had to be married in May, after all. It was a choice between that and being married on a Friday and Jane would not hear of that. So I gave in. Poor dear Mama relented at the end and came to the wedding. On the whole, she behaved with great restraint. She could not help saying just a word about rash promises. Jane looked exceedingly beautiful. I felt very proud of her. I regret nothing. We start for Italy tomorrow. We are to visit Milan, Florence, and Rome. Jane is looking forward to the change. Dijon, May sixth. We decided to break the journey here, but we shall probably start again tomorrow, as Jane is extremely dissatisfied with the inn, the Lion d'Or. I, of course, chose the best, but she says she found a spider in her bedroom. She complained that the silver plates on which dinner was served were not properly cleaned, that the veal was tough, and that we had been given grave under the guise of Barsac. All these things seem to me exceedingly trivial, but Jane is particular. In a way, it is a good thing, but considering her early upbringing and her former circumstances, I confess I am astonished. Lyon, May 12th I shall be glad when we get to Italy. Jane becomes more and more fastidious about inns. She walked out of four running here. I was imprudent enough to say that mamma had a vassal who was a distant connection of the Sieur Jehan de Blois, and Jane insisted on my paying him a visit and asking him to lodge us, telling him who we are, as we are traveling incognito as the baron and baroness of Wessex. This put me in a very awkward position, as I don't know him. I did it, however, and Jane came with me. I have seldom felt so awkward, but really he could not have made things easier. He was tact itself, and while respecting our incognito, he treated us with the utmost consideration. He was most kind. Jane made me a little uncomfortable by praising a fine crystal goblet encrusted with emeralds. Sur Yehan was, of course, obliged to offer it to her, and, to my vexation, she accepted it. Avignon, May 20th Jane finds our incognito more and more irksome. I was looking forward to a real quiet holiday, where we could get away from all fuss and worry, and all the impediments of rank and riches. I wanted to pretend we were poor for a while, to send on the litters with the oxen, the horses, and the baggage, and to ride on mules, as soon as we had reached the south. But Jane would not hear of this. She said she had had enough of poverty without playing at it now. This is, of course, quite true, but I wish you wouldn't say such things before people. It makes one so uncomfortable. Here she has insisted on our staying with the Pope, which may put me in a very awkward position with regard to several of our allies in Italy. He has been, however, most gracious. Jane is very impulsive at times. She insisted on our making an expedition to the bridge here by moonlight and dancing on it. She kicked off her shoes and danced barefooted. I asked her not to do this, whereupon she said, If the courtiers hadn't praised my ankles, you would never have married me. And what's the use of having pretty ankles, if nobody can see them? I shall be glad when we get to Italy. I am determined to preserve a strict incognito once we are across the frontier. Turin, June 10th. It has poured with rain every day since we crossed the frontier, and Jane won't believe that it is ever fine in Italy. It is very cold for the time of year, and the people here say that there has not been such a summer for thirty years. Every time I mention the blue sky of Italy, Jane loses her temper. She spends all her time at the goldsmith's shops and at the weaver's. I am afraid she is extravagant, and her taste in dress is not quite as restrained as I could wish. Of course, it doesn't matter here, but at home it would shock people. For instance, last night she came down to supper dressed as a Turkish sultana, in pink trousers and a scimitar, and without even a veil over her face. When I remonstrated, she said men did not understand these things. Milan, June 15th. It is still raining. Jane refused to look at the cathedral and spends her whole time at the merchants' booths, as usual. Today I broached the incognito question. I suggested our walking on foot, or perhaps riding on mules, to Florence. Jane, to my great surprise, said she would be delighted to do this, and asked when we were to start. I said we had better start the day after tomorrow. I am greatly relieved. She is really very sensible, if a little impulsive at times. But considering her early life, it might be much worse. I have much to be thankful for. She is greatly admired only I wish you would not wear such bright colors. Florence, June 20th It has been a great disappointment. Just as we were making preparations to start entirely incognito, Jane had even begged that we should walk on foot the whole way and take no clothes with us. A messenger arrived from the Florentine embassy here, saying that the Duke of Florence had heard of our intended visit, and had put a cavalcade of six carriages, fifty mules, seven litters, and a hundred men-at-arms at our disposal. How he could have heard of our intention, I don't know. Jane was bitterly disappointed. She cried and said she had been looking forward to this walking tour more than to anything else, but I managed to soothe her, and she eventually consented to accept the escort of the Duke. It would have been impossible to refuse. As it was, we were very comfortable. We stopped at Bologna on the way, and Jane insisted on going to the market and buying a sausage. She tried to make me taste it, but I cannot endure the taste of garlic. At Florence, we were magnificently received and taken at once to the palace, where the rooms are very spacious. Jane complains of the drafts and the cold. It is still pouring with rain. There is a very fine collection of Greek statues to be seen here, but Jane takes no interest in these things. The first thing she did was go to the new bridge, which is lined with goldsmith's shops on both sides, and to spend a great deal of money on perfectly useless trinkets. She says she must have some things to bring back to my sisters. This was thoughtful of her. The Duke is going to give a great banquet in our honor on Tuesday night. June 23rd. The feast is to-night, the gardens have been hung with lanterns, a banquet has been prepared on a gigantic scale, five hundred guests have been bidden, Jane was greatly looking forward to it, and lo and behold, by the most evil mischance a terrible vexation has befallen us. A courier arrived this morning bearing letters for me, and among them was one announcing the death of the Duke of Burgundy, who is my uncle by marriage. I told Jane that of course we could not possibly be present at the banquet. Jane said that I knew best, but that the Duke would be mortally offended by our absence, since he had arranged the banquet entirely for us, and spent a sum of ten thousand ducats on it. It would be, she pointed out, and I am obliged to admit she is right, most impolitic to annoy the Duke. After an hour's reflection, I hit on what seemed to me an excellent solution that we should be present, but dressed in mourning. Jane said this was impossible as she had no black clothes. Then she suggested that I should keep back the news until tomorrow, and if the news were received in other quarters, deny its authenticity, and say we had a later bulletin. This on the whole seemed to be the wisest course. As the etiquette here is very strict, and the Dowager Duchess is most particular, I pray that Jane may be careful and guarded in her expressions. June 25th My poor dear mother was right after all. I should have listened, and now it is too late. The dinner went off very well. We sat at a small table on a raised dais. Jane sat between the Duke and the Prime Minister and opposite the Dowager Duchess. There was no one at the table except myself, under sixty years of age, and only the greatest magnates were present. Jane was silent and demure and becomingly dressed. I congratulated myself on everything. After the banquet came the dance, and Jane took part with exquisite grace in the saraband. She observed all the rules of etiquette. The dowager duchess seemed charmed with her. Then later came supper, which was served in a tent, and which was perhaps more solemn than everything. When the time came to lead Jane to supper, she was nowhere to be found. Outside, in the garden, the minor nobles were dancing in masks, and some mimes were singing. We waited, and then a message came, that the queen had had a touch of ague and had retired. The supper went off gloomily. At the close, an enormous pie was brought in, the sight of which caused a ripple of well-bred applause. Viva il re cofetua was written in it in letters of pink sugar. It was truly a triumph of culinary art. The mime announced that the moment had come for it to be cut, and as the Grand Duke rose to do this, the thin crust burst of itself, and out stepped Jane, with no garments beside her glorious dark hair. She tripped on to the table, and then with a peal of laughter leapt from it and ran into the garden. Since when she has not been heard of? My anguish and shame are too great for words. But the Duke and the Dowager have been most sympathetic. June 26th. Jane has fled, and my jewels as well as hers are missing. It is suspected that the attaché at the Florentine Embassy at Milan is at the bottom of the conspiracy for Jane herself had a good heart. End of section 3